What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And do you hear that? Do you hear that subtle difference in my voice? Because now I'm officially 38 years old. Before the last episode, I was 37. And now I'm 38. You can tell there's a massive difference because I just had my birthday. July 23rd, the start of the Leo season, which I don't really get much into that whole thing. I think it's fun and interesting. Apparently, from what people tell me, I very much resemble a Leo. And I don't know if that's true or not, but we're here. And I very much appreciate everybody who sent birthday wishes. It was a wonderful weekend with family, kids. We did a little tubing on the river. Mel and I got some quality time together. I got some time with my parents. And then we also have another family birthday celebration next week because my family has a ridiculous amount of July birthdays. My mom is two days before me on the 21st, then I am the 23rd, and then my twin nephews are turning 10 on the 28th. So we've got craziness in July. But hopefully you can hear the more sophisticated voice of a 38-year-old. Uh, Anyway, on my birthday or for my birthday, I prefer to do a little gift giving than gift receiving. And so that's actually going to be the theme of this entire episode is giving some gifts. And I'm going to talk about some gifts that I wish I had received earlier in life or that I was receptive to, I should say, earlier in life. And some gifts that I think that we should all give to ourselves and or other people if that's at all possible. I'm going to break it down into five gifts that I think we should all give to ourselves and or to others. This is more of a life episode than it is a nutrition and fitness, although I would encourage you to listen from the perspective of how do we apply this to fitness and nutrition if that's what you're interested in before you just tune me out and uh, turn off the episode. I would say go in with an open mind and see if you can apply any of the life lessons into fitness and nutrition. Now, I also want to say that when I talk about life philosophies and things that I believe in when it comes to just being a better human, I'm not coming from the perspective of I have this all figured out, so I'm going to tell you uh, exactly what to do. I'm coming from the perspective of we are figuring this shit out together. Like I am still learning. I still make a ton of mistakes. I still have a lot of growing to do. And I am very well aware of the fact that this is an infinite game, meaning there's no finish line. I'm never going to be a finished product. I'm never going to quote unquote, make it. The more that I learn and the more life that I experience, the more I realize that there is an infinite amount of wisdom out there. And it's it's just a process, just like anything else. So I am coming at this from the perspective, not like I am trying to talk down to anybody or say, this is what you should do. I'm saying, this is my experience and I'm sharing it as we go through this journey together, hoping that as I pay it forward, that it actually helps me. There's a little bit of selfish intent because I want to be better. I want to be a better person. And as I learn things that I find to be useful and I pass it forward, when I speak about it, it actually helps me instill those things internally 
to better apply it because knowing something without doing it is, is irrelevant. It's like, you know, there's, there's people out there who are therapists, psychologists, philosophers who have all of these amazing concepts in their brain, but they still struggle, right? Just because you know something that doesn't mean that you've got your own shit figured out, you can still struggle. Just like there are nutrition coaches who know everything there is to know about nutrition and metabolism and hormones and gut health. And yet they still struggle with their own nutrition just because you know something that doesn't mean that you have mastered in the application. And so that is, I'm hoping that it doesn't come across that I am lecturing, that it doesn't come across as I am on my high horse. I really am speaking from an even level of we're figuring this shit out together. And these are some things that are helpful for me. If you actually find it helpful or useful, I would appreciate you spreading the love and sharing uh, the best way to do that is by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is the most effective way to get new listeners to the show. If you care about growing this beautiful community that we have and you want to be a part of the growth, leaving a five-star review is the most effective strategy. You can, of course, share the episode with a family or a friend or somebody who you feel like would enjoy it. And then you can just take a screenshot of the episode, post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. All right. So let's get into some gifts, um, not gifts like, you know, the funny shit that you send to your friends on a text G I F S <laughs> I'm talking about gifts, like a, a gift uh, with a T. So actually I'm going to start with giving a gift before we get into like the five gifts that I think we should all give to ourselves or to others. I'm actually going to give you a gift right now, which is um, last week we opened up group coaching. Uh, we, a cohort for group coaching, which we very rarely do. The last time that we did that, it was end of December into January. It sold out immediately. We don't promote, we don't market. We just, those spots fill up. Um, the reason why it's so popular is because there are a ton of people out there that want to join our coaching program, our one-on-one -on -one program, um, but just can't make it um, work financially for whatever reason, whether it's a real excuse or whether it's a perceived excuse, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that say they want to do it, but they just can't uh, swing it financially. So the group option is actually half off of the one-on-one -on -one investment, which makes it very doable. And the results from group are incredible as well. Uh, my preference is one-on-one -on -one just because I feel like that's the most effective strategy, but the group coaching program is a very strong program where you're still going to see amazing progress. You're still going to see amazing results. You still get a high level of personalization and individualization, which is what we do. Plus it's half off. So um, we only opened nine spots and as of recording this, I think three or four of them were taken. Like I'm recording this on Sunday, by the way. We made the announcement um, Thursday, Friday, and we have a bunch of calls. So there's about 20 some people that booked a call to secure their spot in group. That's all happening this coming week. So by the time this episode releases, I have no idea what's going to be available. My recommendation is take advantage of this gift that I'm giving to you and book your call even if you're not eligible for group because it sells out, we will still hook you up with something in this process just because you're a listener and I want to give you something. So that's the first thing. 
Um, just go to neurotypetraining.com slash apply, fill out the application, schedule a call, see if there are any group spots available. Again, it's 50% off of our one-on-one rate. The other thing that you can do is if you book a call and you want to talk about our beta program, I will extend the beta program discount. So when we release it publicly, which is very soon, it will be double what you're paying if you do the beta price. So again, you can get 50% off through the group or you can get 50% off through the beta program. Um, I will extend that through July. So if you are able to listen to this and get your call scheduled before August, you can lock in the beta price, which is half off what it will be, which is, it's a one-on-one program. Um, I don't need to go into the details because I don't feel like I'd really want this to be about convincing you of anything, but more so just taking advantage of an opportunity and a gift that I am passing forward to you for my birthday, because I would rather give than receive on my birthday. Um, Anyway, I hope that makes sense. Just go to neurotypetraining.com slash apply if you're interested in group or if you're interested in the one-on-one beta program, you can still get that rate uh, before it doubles. All right. So, you know, start off with a couple gifts. That's a nice way to uh, kick things off. Anyway, uh, what I'm going to talk about, five gifts. I'm talking about things, and, and you'll understand the direction that I'm going once we jump in, but I'm talking about things that I wish... I had instilled in me uh, or, or been receptive to at a much younger age, and also things that I think uh, are still a work in progress for me that I'm trying to instill and solidify in myself that I think would be amazing gifts to either give to yourself or to give to other people if you're able to educate or somehow lead somebody to this place. And you'll understand the direction I'm going. Number one, and this is more about life than it is about fitness and nutrition. But again, I'm going to make the connection here. So number one is delayed gratification. Uh, I mean, this is one of those qualities that has shown up in research over and over again as one of the most important or one of the most um, common predictors for life satisfaction and success. Of course, there's the famous marshmallow study that was done in Stanford. with kids where it was like, if you, they gave them the opportunity to take a marshmallow now or to wait an undefined period of time and get two marshmallows later. And then they followed up with the kids in the study to see, you know, which ones were successful. And there was a direct connection between delaying the gratification. In other words, turning down one marshmallow now for multiple marshmallows later that they were more successful, um, in basically every area of their lives. Now, that was just one study, but it has come up in other studies and in psychology research that delaying gratification, expanding your time horizon, expanding your time preference is one of the most valuable things and skills that you can develop. And yes, you can develop this skill. Here's the thing. When when it comes to fitness and nutrition, a lot of times I hear people say, and I'll ask the question, I'll say, hey, if this took you five years, would it be worth it? You know, everything that you want to accomplish, your your body composition goals, your relationship with food, setting a better better example for your kids, all of the reasons why you know this is important to you. If it took you five years, would that be worth it? And every single person says yes. And usually they're like, you know what? I don't want it to take that long, but this is something that I want regardless. And I plan on living 
much longer than five years. So if it takes five years, it takes five years. And then that same person is like, hey, Mike, it's been two weeks and I'm not making progress. What do I do? And I'm like, hey, remember that conversation we had about five years? It's two fucking weeks. You're telling me that you're willing to delay gratification, but in action, you're not really willing to delay gratification. You know what you can't control? You can't control the time that it takes to get to your goals. You know what you can control? You can control the process. You can control your behaviors, your actions. If you expand your time horizon, if you expand your time preference, you will be more successful, period. This is a gift that keeps on giving. It's the same thing with people who like invest and they're like, you know what, I'm going to invest in this thing and I'm going to hold it for 10 years. And then they're checking the daily charts and they're like, oh my God, it went down 10% today. Like, well, your time preference is 10 years. If you're saying that your time preference is 10 years, why the fuck are you checking a daily chart? Like if you say it's worth it to you, if it takes a year to reach your body composition goals, or if you're saying it's worth it, if it takes five years to reach your goals, then why are you freaking out over daily, like daily fluctuations on the scale? How is that informing your behavior in any way? One day of the scale going up two pounds should not impact your mood or your decisions or your, you know, anything about the process. Now, over time, if we have rolling averages over time that suggest we're trending in the wrong direction, now that can inform behavior, but we need time. And even still, this is a long game. So we don't have to panic if over a month we're trending in the wrong direction, because if we have time on our side, then we're also playing with randomness on our side because we're allowing for life to happen and we can still adjust and we can still course correct and we can ultimately get to where we want to be, knowing that where we want to be doesn't exist in terms of a finish line. This is an infinite game because once you cross a finish line, you hit a checkpoint you're going to realize that there's more that you can accomplish or there's other things that you want to work on. Again, like I said it for myself, what I've learned in life is that no matter how much I learn, no matter how much I grow, there will always be more work to do. I will still make mistakes. There will still be setbacks. There will still be times where life just punches you in the fucking face and knocks you down. And you're like, holy shit, how did I get here? Let me scramble to pick myself up. Those are learning opportunities. Those are opportunities to continue to grow and evolve, and they will never stop. They will never stop until the day you die. This is an infinite game that we're playing. So we might as well put time on our side, delay gratification. That is gift number one. Gift number two is a curious mind. Um, I I listened to an incredible podcast with um, Malcolm Gladwell on the diary of a CEO. And he said that curiosity is a habit. It's not just a trait that you inherited or you didn't. Curiosity is a habit, just like any other habit that you can develop. So similar to how somebody wants to start eating well or going for daily walks or drinking more water and you want to instill those habits, you can also instill the habit of curiosity. Curious mind, I think, is an absolute gift that you can give yourself or give to others. And it's funny because when we are kids, when we're young, we approach the world with this great curiosity. We don't have any sort of dogmatic beliefs. We're open to any possibility. 
literally like an infinite amount of possibilities we are open to as children. And then as we get older and as we start to be influenced by other people and outside sources, we start to develop this dogmatic approach to life. And we start to believe that things are black or black and white. And we start to believe that there is a right and wrong answer all the time, that multiple realities can't exist or multiple truths can't exist. It just has to be black or white. And we start to shut ourselves off from being open to anything outside of our pre-existing beliefs. We have confirmation bias. We start to just seek out information that confirms what we already know. Uh, there was a, a, a quote that I'm probably going to butcher, but it says something along the lines of um, most people don't want the truth. Most people simply want confirmation that what they already believe is true. So we shut ourselves off from information and, and we are so focused on being right that we lose sight of we, the fact that we could be wrong and that there can be multiple truths and there can be multiple realities. And we're very dogmatic. Um, dogmatic thinking is like, there has to be an answer to this question. And there's only one proper answer. Like, you know, if you, see, if you think about like dogmatic thinking and nutrition, it's like, oh, well, Keto is the best way to lose fat. And you have a lot of people that no matter what information, no matter what you show them in terms of research or literature, or, or even just having a conversation about your own personal experience, they will diminish your experience and say, no, keto is still the only way or the best way. And it's very black or white. We see it all the time with politics. We see it all the time with religion. We see it all the time with life beliefs and, and just things that you believe to be true, it's very difficult to move somebody off of a pre-existing belief, despite evidence to the contrary. Uh, people, there was this fascinating study also done in Stanford, I believe, where they tested people's ability to be malleable in their belief system. And they showed them this, like, gave them this thing to read and it was about firefighters, I believe. And, and I haven't looked at this study in a really long time. I actually, uh, when I wrote my book was when I found this study and I mentioned it in there, but uh, it's, it's been a few years. Uh, effectively, the study was like, they, they gave participants the, uh, some literature about firefighters, and then they had them like come up with a conclusion. And um, I can't remember what it was, but it was just something about uh, a story about firefighters and they gave them the conclusion and they had them like develop this conclusion about the firefighters. And then um, they showed them after they had already established their beliefs, they had shown, they then revealed evidence that would prove their belief system wrong, like evidence to the contrary. Um, and it was still the vast majority of people then were asked to reassess their beliefs with the new evidence and most of them stayed true to their initial beliefs. They were like, no, that doesn't change anything. I still believe what I believe. And it just showed that we have this lack. We, we like develop over time. Maybe it's just because of life or outside influence, right? Or the way that you were raised or, you know, when, when you grow up in, and it's like, you have to be a 
right-wing conservative, or you have to be a, a liberal leftist, or you have to be this, you have to be that, you have to be Christian, you have to be whatever. And, and we put these like labels on and we just, it's reinforced over and over and over again, over years and years and decades. And then when somebody tries to open your mind to something different, or even just to say, your belief can be true while my belief is also true. We like go nuts. We have this very um, dogmatic approach where we lose that childhood like curiosity to be like, there are an infinite number of possibilities. So, you know, somebody, when I, when I mentioned the keto example, somebody in nutrition who could take more of a scientific approach might say, I'm trying to answer this question about what diet is best. And I am open to an infinite number of possibilities. And then I'm going to take those infinite number of possibilities and apply it based off of context, knowing that many of them might be right or accurate or appropriate, depending on the situation. And when I develop my beliefs, I am also open to them being incorrect or wrong or evolving over time. Um, I can tell you personally, I used to struggle with this. Um, I even noticed that I have dogmatic thinking when it comes to certain like emotions, which is interesting. Um, I used to believe that regret was just not something that anyone should entertain ever. Right. I used to just say like, I don't believe in regret. And even though I can look back and I can say, I made a lot of poor decisions. And if I went back in time, I would have done things differently. However, at the time, I made the best decision that I could. And there was a reason why I made the decision that I did. And I don't believe in regret because it's not serving you. And I just shut down like any sort of opinion to the contrary. I was so dogmatic about regret. And now I have come full circle. Now that I have tried to develop the habit of curiosity and openness to being wrong, I have completely come full circle. I fully believe in regret. I fully believe that it can inform and instruct behavior. I think that it can really allow you to dive into your values because if you are regretting a decision that you made, like you can assess what value that I have, did I violate and how can I avoid violating that value in the future? I think that regret can be a great teacher. This is also something um, that I listened to on a podcast recently. It was the same um, actually, it was a different interview, but the same podcast. It was also on Diary of a CEO. Um, I've been listening to that one a lot lately, but I have fully come full circle on that. Um, a lot of things with nutrition, I've come full circle on where I used to believe that like calories were all that mattered and it didn't, you know, food quality was irrelevant. Just hit your calories, hit your macros, and you're totally fine. Um, that was another thing. I was very dogmatic for a period of time. And then I opened my eyes to the fact that there is so much more that goes into the equation than simply calories in, calories out. Um, but you'll see this a lot in the nutrition space. Um, one of the coaches that I mentor um, had posted something on TikTok and had this guy comment. He's like, if somebody thinks that they're under eating and they're gaining weight, then the only possible solution is that they're lying. Like, he was not, and, and I could tell by the way that he worded his response that there were, he was so dogmatic and like, this is the only way. If you find somebody in this like black or white, like it's either this or it's this, 
And there's no in-between, there's no middle ground, there's no room for multiple realities or multiple truths. That is somebody who is extremely dogmatic and you're probably not going to win an argument or get them to budge off of that stance. They're going to look for confirmation. They are not going to challenge their own beliefs. If you try to argue, they will constantly come back to their way, their way. There is no other possibility. You have to let them get there on their own, unfortunately. Um, don't entertain the argument. It will be a waste of time and energy. Uh, so number two is a curious mind. That is a gift that I think everybody should give to themselves or to others. Number three, extreme ownership. Uh, if you have not read the book by Jocko Willink, I highly recommend it. Extreme ownership. I'm talking from the perspective of giving yourself the gift of taking responsibility for every single thing that happens in your life. There will be plenty of situations that occur that are not your fault. Every single one of them is your responsibility. I find that people are, and I've talked about um, Cartman's drama triangle for for a few episodes, so I'm not going to rehash it, but people are all too quick to make themselves the victim. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's very apparent. Like you immediately start pointing fingers. Like, I can't believe so-and-so did this to me. Um, You know, why did this have to happen to me? Why is life out to get me? Why can't I catch a break? Why am I the way, like you're just fully embracing the role of victim. And when you embrace the role of victim, you abdicate responsibility onto other people. You want a hero to come save you and you want a villain to point the finger at. So if you find yourself pointing at a villain, like my, you know, this situation is because of X and you're pointing at whatever villain you want to point at. And then you're looking for a savior to come in and swoop you you know, off your feet and make everything okay. That could be a savior in the form of a partner. It could be a savior in the form of a leader, a, a politician. You know, we, we often are like, somebody just do something for me that makes my life better instead of taking responsibility for our own situation. Um, playing the role a victim is one of the most damaging things. And, and a lot of times it's less obvious. A lot of times it's less obvious, like, uh, you know, Oreos make me fat. I've used this example, like Oreos by definition, just sit on a counter and do nothing. They don't do anything. They literally sit on a counter. They cannot move, right? So they don't make you fat. You, and that's a, a victim statement, right? You're pointing at the thing, the villain, it's the Oreos, it's the carbs, it's the whatever. You're pointing at the thing and saying, this is happening to me instead of taking responsibility. I have a hard time controlling myself around Oreos and I often overconsume them, right? Now you're taking responsibility. I am also the one that can choose differently. I can choose to break that habit. I can choose to keep them out of the house. I can choose my own fate, right? I always use the example of somebody hitting you from behind. You're stopped at a red light. This has happened to me on multiple occasions. You're stopped at a red light. Somebody smashes into the back of your car. Clearly their fault. You did nothing wrong. You were stopped appropriately. You're doing, minding your business. Somebody hits you from behind. Clearly their fault. Guess what? Still your responsibility. So even in the situation where you are the victim of somebody doing something stupid, you don't have to assume the victim role. You can say, 
that person is a jackass because they were clearly, you know, doing something irresponsible, not paying attention, whatever. Hopefully they learn their own lesson, but I'm going to take responsibility for me. I'm going to get the insurance information. I'm going to do the claim. I'm going to whatever, you know, all the steps that you need to take to move forward. It's still your responsibility. Own all of your shit. I've made so many mistakes. It's ridiculous. I don't look at anything outside of myself. I am trying to develop a better operating system for me so that I stay congruent with my espoused values. That is the most important thing for me moving forward from mistakes is so that I can take responsibility, I can learn from them, and I can be more congruent, act in accordance, in alignment with my espoused values. I want the values that I say to be the values that I live. And a lot of times we say we have values, but our actions tell a different story. Take ownership, extreme ownership, and that is a gift that keeps on giving as well. A gift that I wish I had earlier in my life, a gift that I'm still developing and a gift that I hope I can pay forward in some way just by creating awareness and have you working on it with me um, through your own methods and, and means of making it happen. Um, I'm going to throw in a little bonus gift. This is a gift that we have available all the time on the show, um, a gift of getting a discount to Organifi, some of the best products, the gift of hitting your veggie and micronutrient needs in the simplest, most efficient way possible. Because let's be honest, sometimes you just don't feel like making veggies for every meal. Sometimes you have a hard time getting in enough greens and enough fruits and veggies to make hit your micronutrient goals. Organifi makes it incredibly simple. And because they are the one and only sponsor of the show for now, I might have an announcement soon about another one, but for now, they are the one and only sponsor. I only work with companies and products that I believe in, that I use myself. Organifi has the best green juice on the market, the best gold juice in terms of nighttime wind down drinks. There is nothing better than the Organifi gold juice. I highly recommend you start your day with greens. Get in your you get in your vitamins and minerals. Get in your veggies. You know, you don't have to overthink things. You can keep it simple. Go to organifi.com slash popfam. That's P-O-P-F-A-M. Enter code POPFAM at checkout, get 20% off site-wide all of their products. Highly recommend their greens to start the day. Highly recommend the gold juice. I use warm almond milk. I mix in, froth the gold, and then we put a little true whip on top. That is the, the wind-down routine that both Mel and I use, and it is absolute heaven. It tastes just like hot chocolate. It's a beautiful treat before bed. It also helps you with some of the nighttime sweets that you might be craving um, because it gives you that nice chocolatey sweet flavor and it just sets up the perfect wind down routine. Highly recommend that. Um, they also have a massive discount going on right now on Balance, which is their gut health product, which I have used intermittently. Like anytime I'm feeling a little bit off uh, with my digestion, with my gut, I will take that. Um, it's super easy. It's just a little packet of powder. Um, you can mix it, but I just literally just rip off the tab and throw it down, <laughs> you know, in my mouth and it dissolves and it's totally, um, it's not like, doesn't have a bad taste or anything like that. Uh, and it helps with your gut and digestive system and things like that. So they have a massive discount going on there. Go to Organifi.com slash popfam, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code popfam at checkout, get your 20% off. That is another gift. We are just dishing out gifts left and right. 
Um, every time I say gift, I think of gif. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking of what gif would go along with the gift, <laughs> the gift that I'm talking about. Uh, I'm really weird. Um, anyway, let's, let's move on. Number four, the fourth gift is trying to switch your frame from how can I be useful slash helpful versus being valid or right. And this is another concept I've talked about a number of times. I'm sure a lot of this, if you went back into the archives, you could piece this all together through the various episodes that I've done. Um, I noticed that most people are so caught up on making valid points that they lose sight of actually helping somebody. I would much rather be useful and be helpful than to be valid or to be right. And even just the other day, you know, like getting into actually the example that I gave earlier, the guy who was like, he was arguing this, this coach that I mentor, um, telling him that the only possible solution for somebody under eating and gaining weight is that they're being dishonest and that they're lying about their intake. Now let's just say that there was an example of that happening, that he was valid and he was right. Like, let's just say there is a person who is lying about their intake or even just like totally unaware of what they were consuming, but they swore up and down. They were eating 1200 calories a day and gaining weight. Even if this person was right or valid, how saying that is not actually useful or helpful because the person is now offended, but they're being called a liar. They're being called dishonest. They're saying that the coach or this guy is saying, I don't believe you you're wrong. And this, so even if he's right, technically he's missing out on being helpful or useful. Um, I talked all about technical problems versus adaptive problems. Adaptive problems require this gray area. They, they require effective communication. They require behavior modification. They require a collaborative effort. It's not just saying you're wrong. You need to be more honest about your intake it's about talking to the individual and getting them to come to their own conclusions for them to modify their own behaviors. So being useful or helpful is way more important than being valid or right. It's like if you were to, um, like if I were to make mention a quote and let's say I quoted a book or, or somebody and I and I didn't give, you know, let's say I was like, oh, it's in this book where I've, I've referenced podcasts. Let's say I was like, you know what? Here's this concept that I learned from this podcast and here's the podcast that it was on. And let's say I misremembered the podcast that it was on and somebody would come and jump down my throat and be like, um, actually, this is what's right. You know, this is, this is where it was actually found. Now, that's not useful. What's useful or helpful is extracting the lesson. It's not getting the right you know, it's not accrediting the right person. Like everyone wants to jump in. And I know this is probably a poor example, but everybody wants to jump in to be valid or to be right. I even had somebody comment on one of my Instagram posts and it was the most asinine comment ever because the guy was effectively trying to say the same thing that I had said in my post, but he was just like arguing semantics. It wasn't useful to anybody. Somebody would read his response. And even though he's trying to make a valid point and he, his point was valid, his point was effectively that like, you know, behaviors can't directly lead to a predetermined outcome. 
but they can, you know, behaviors can get you closer, but you can't really know for certain if the behaviors are going to lead to a specific outcome. And, and yes, that's valid because we can say like, you're going to do all the right things, but we don't know where you're going to exactly going to land. Let's just say, let's use business because numbers are easy to work with. We can say, here are the behaviors to help you earn a million dollars in your business. Right. And then you start doing those behaviors, but ultimately maybe you end up at like three quarters of a million or 900 grand or half a million, right? The outcome, the behaviors didn't lead to the specific outcome, but they did move you closer. So is it really useful for him to say that? Of course not. And we were effectively saying the same thing, but he was trying to make a valid point just because people get this dopamine hit when they're like, I'm right. And I said a valid point instead of thinking to themselves, is this useful or helpful to the person that's listening? Is it useful to tell somebody that their behaviors actually can't lead to a predetermined outcome in certain situations? No. What's useful or what's helpful is getting them to modify their behaviors to get closer to what they want. And trying to make a valid point or be right oftentimes doesn't lead to behavior modification. It just leads to the person who said the thing to feel better about themselves because now they can pat themselves on the back. This is my biggest issue with the calories in, calories out crowd. Oh, calorie deficit is needed for fat loss. No shit. Congratulations. You made a valid point. Now tell me how that's helping people actually modify their behavior. Tell me how that's helping people with an adaptive problem not a technical problem. A technical problem requires a technical solution. I want to lose weight. Technician says, great, eat less. Okay, fine. But then what happens when that stops working? What happens when you have stress in your life? What happens when you have hormonal issues? What happened? And they're like, but wait, my technical problem didn't work or my technical solution didn't work. Of course not, because it's an adaptive problem, which requires an adaptive solution. It requires understanding context, the individual, their lifestyle, all the stress in their life, all the things that make them unique. That requires an adaptive solution. So I'm sorry, Mr. Calorie Deficit is all that matters. You are making a valid point, but you are helping literally no one. Apply the gift of being useful and helpful versus being valid or right. Okay. Last one, number five. This one is like just for me. <laughs> Every, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that resonate with this one, but this is for me. The last gift is setting firm boundaries. Probably the thing that I struggle with the most. I am a people pleaser. I don't like to label myself, but I have people pleasing tendencies. I'm a type 2A. Um, I also come from a, a family dynamic where um, People-pleasing is kind of part of my genetic makeup. Setting boundaries is one of the most important gifts that you can give to yourself or to others. This is kind of like, I would rather be kind than be nice. Because when you're kind, you set boundaries and sometimes it comes across as being a dick. Like somebody asks you a question, how many calories should I eat? I could just say, 1500 calories. That would be me being nice and people pleasing. Or I could say, um, I'm not going to tell you how many calories you should be eating, but I'm going to ask you a lot of questions that will get you thinking about the answer for yourself. Right now, all of a sudden, I'm avoiding this 
level of learned helplessness where if I just give them the answer, number one, then if it doesn't work, what happens? They become the victim and I become the villain. Well, Mike told me to eat 1500 calories, but that didn't work for me. Fuck him. I'm the victim. Now I'm going to go ask somebody else to be my savior, right? We're back in Cartman's drama triangle. I'm going to ask somebody else to be my savior and ask them how much I should be eating. And then they're going to give me an answer. And now I never take responsibility. You see how all of these gifts kind of overlap, right? Not having, uh, not taking ownership, uh, you know, kind of take playing the victim card, not having boundaries, right? So if, if I wanted to be kind, I would say, no, I'm not going to tell you how many calories you should be eating, but I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I'm going to ask that you be a part of the solution. It's like, you want me to be a part of the solution? How dare you? Right? So it might come across as being a dick, but you're setting boundaries. No, I'm not just going to answer this. I'm not going to enable learned helplessness. I'm not going to position you as the victim. I'm going to empower you. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Then I'm still going to hold my boundary. A lot of times people will push. Even when you try to set the boundary, they'll come back and they'll be like, just this one time, you know, and they'll come up with an excuse of why it's okay. And you have to set the boundary. People pleasing is extremely, extremely damaging. And it is something that I have a bitch of a hard time trying to manage. Um, it is my natural instinct. So I have to fight actively to get out of that mindset of, oh, everyone needs to like me. I need to be nice. Being kind means that you're doing what's best for yourself and you're not placating and you're not just saying what you think everybody wants to hear and you're holding your boundaries, which sometimes can come across as being a dick. But if you get somebody to figure things out on their own, that is a massive win. If you get them to step out of that learned helplessness, if you get them to take full responsibility for their own actions and their own situation, that is a huge win. So holding your boundaries in a strong way is, is super important. Now, this does require effective communication. So kind of baked in to a lot of these gifts that I'm talking about, effective communication. Um, I think that it's one of the biggest challenges that we all face as a society. Like most of the time, what I see on social media is somebody asking a question without really defining the question that they want answered and somebody answering the question that wasn't really the question that they intended to be, you know, to ask in the first place. So now you have this whole dialogue that's going on where both parties are talking about two different things and it's just wildly ineffective communication. Um, an example is somebody might say like, what is protein? And that might not be the question that they really mean to ask because there's this color commentary that's happening in their head. The person that asked the question has all of this color commentary in their mind that they're not saying or writing. And then the person answering also has some inherent biases. So they're answering the question in their own way. In other words, an individual asks, what is protein? And a nutrition coach would be like, or a trainer would be like, well, it's the building block of muscle. That's not really answering the question. That's answering it in your own biased way. Answering that question would be like, it's a macro molecule that consists of, you know, chains of amino acid or whatever. Um, that would be like the answer to what is protein. But the person asking the question, they may have meant like, what is protein good for? How much protein do I need to eat? Uh, what are protein sources? 
what are quality protein, right? There's, there's all this color commentary that they may have left out and the person answering it, they're answering it through their own lens. So now you have two people going back and forth in a dialogue and they're just missing each other. So baked into all of this is effective communication. It's something that we all need to practice and get better at and asking the question that we intend to ask and realizing that most people don't know what's going on in our mind. Um, There's another fabulous study that was done, the tapping study. Um, I, I really believe that this was also done in Stanford. So there's a common trend here. Apparently, Stanford is where all the incredible psychology studies happen. Anyway, this one uh, was, was done with um, this group was asked, you had, you had tappers and then you had listeners. And the tappers were asked to pick a song from a list of very popular songs. And it was like, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and Happy Birthday and Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever, like obvious songs. And they would pick a song on the list and then they were asked to tap on a desk the the rhythm and the beat of that song. And there was the listeners that were asked to guess. Um, they Before they did the tapping, they asked the tappers, like, what? how confident are you? Like, what percentage? confidence are you in the listener being able to guess the song? And they were, they were pretty confident. I I think it was like, Oh, I think maybe like 60% chance that they get it. Then they would tap the song on the desk. And then afterwards they would reassess. Okay. Now that you've tapped the song and the listener has had a chance to listen to the song. Now, how confident are you in their ability to guess the song? Even after they had finished tapping, they still were fairly confident, even though the confidence level dropped a little bit, they were still pretty confident. So I don't know the exact numbers, but it may have gone from something like 60% to like 40% or 30%, something like that. But they're still pretty solid. Um, The actual result was like one and a half percent of the time that they were able to guess it. The point is, uh, for me, the point of the study was really twofold. Number one, it illustrated how poorly we communicate and then how poorly we think we communicated even after we've communicated. So after the tapping was done, we still are pretty bad at guessing how effectively we have just communicated. And the second thing that really stood out to me um, is that we have all of this color commentary in our heads that the other person can't hear, which is like, while you're tapping a song, you're literally playing the tune in your mind, like in your head, you're singing, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star in your head. And it's just coming out as fucking like Morse code to the other person. They don't hear what's going on in your mind, but we think they can. It's almost like, well, I can hear it. So you should be able to hear it, but you have context that they don't have. And sometimes we lose sight of that and we forget. And so we're really, we do a poor job overall in general at communicating. And then we do a poor job at guessing how well we have just communicated And again, this is something that I am really trying to get better at is saying what I mean and then defining it and explaining it, which is why I love this platform so much because I do, I write every day, but sometimes I feel like there, there needs to be more context. There needs to be more nuance. Um, We have to have a discussion around it. And I love to be able to just hit record and explain everything in detail um, to get better at communicating. There is a book that's called um, Crucial Conversations that I highly recommend everybody read. It is a fascinating book in terms of helping 
all of us get better at having difficult conversations and communicating more effectively and getting the outcome of that communication that, that all parties involved um, desire. So that is the last gift. Um, well, the last gift is, uh, is um, being, you know, having boundaries and, and being kind over being nice and not people pleasing or placating, but baked in to all of it is the gift of effective communication, which is always going to be a work in progress. Um, that's it. Five gifts for my birthday. Uh, there was a lot more than that, like the coaching and the Organifi. And if you listen, there's a lot of takeaways, hopefully that you extract from this. Um, as always, my intent is just to get you to think a little bit differently. It's to open your mind and be more curious and take ownership and think about some pre-existing beliefs where maybe, you know, you're, maybe you're being dogmatic Maybe you're very closed off in your approach. Hopefully there's some level of openness that comes from this conversation where you start to assess. Uh, I know for me, it was around emotions and like this definition of uh, a regret and not believing in that. And even looking at the definition of happiness, like it has to fit this particular mold or standard. And it looks different for everybody. I realized I was being very dogmatic in my definition of happiness and what that means. It can mean something to me and it can mean something different to somebody else. Multiple realities can exist. Multiple truths can exist. I'm trying to get better at being less dogmatic when it comes to things like emotions and um, things that are very individual based. It's funny. I have an easy time being very scientific and open to infinite possibilities when it comes to nutrition. I'm having a harder time when it comes to things like emotions. And that is, again, I'm a work in progress, just like you. So Let's keep each other open together where we challenge ourselves. We challenge each other. Um, you know, we don't just latch on to something and say, okay, this is the way, or it has to be this or this. It's never black and white. There's always layers of gray. The answer typically lies in the middle. Most problems are better served as being adaptive problems where it requires nuance and, and collaboration and behavior modification. And hopefully this was useful and helpful and it wasn't just full of valid points of me trying to be right. I'm hoping you can extract something and apply it to yourself. If you do, let me know. I would love to hear about it. And don't forget, if you want to apply for our group program or our beta program, you just go to neurotypetraining.com apply. And I will talk to you guys very soon. <laughs>